Welcome back to Soul Boat Sessions, the podcast about two of the best things ever, music and fermentation. And this week's episode is so cool. We're featuring a bona fide rock star and actor, Brian Cook, who is not only a seasoned Indian folk rocker, having performed all over the world, literally everywhere from Portland's finest venues like Edgefield, but also the late night shows in NYC and even the Hollywood Bowl. But he's also one of the nicest and funniest and and utterly most affable and humble dudes I've had the pleasure of meeting, so we're really thrilled he could make it here. And of all the places we could meet, we first encountered each other in a beer tank manufacturing plant, no longer of this world, which now sounds way more metal than it was, uh, no pun intended, but it was great. And we hit it off, and this week as we go to to edits, he's out there on the road with Blitz and Trapper, the band he co-founded in 2000 to great success. And they even played a gig inside Kennedy Center, which is that crazily elegant DC auditorium where, you know, the, the president of the United States speaks. And people like Steve Martin and Robert Plant get celebrated for their contributions to uh, American society. So nice going, guys. And with that band, Blitz and Trapper, co-founding member Cook and that band truly soared into the pop culture zeitgeist on the release of Fur, a 2008 single on sub-pop records of, of Nirvana fame, among others, that garnered seriously gushing coverage from, from nothing less than Rolling Stone magazine, and it ascended to number four on the top 100 singles of 2008, three spots behind, and, and I had to look this up on the internet uh, Wayback Machine. Beyonce's Single Ladies, L.A.S. Artiste by Santa Gold, and Time to Pretend by MGMT, all of which obviously rank as not only some of the best pop songs of 2008, but easily the last several decades. So it was truly a landmark tune, and in its wry sort of Dylan-esque tones reverberated in countless parties and crowded lofts and probably a million mixes burned onto CDs, which is something we used to do before the invention of streaming audio and makes me feel kind of old but uh, I digress uh, more, more recently Brian turned to acting uh, in comic and serious roles of all kinds and then he formed Dead Lee a duo with singer and guitarist Kara Harris uh, now disbanded after some terrific recordings and performances including here at Wolves and People Cook now tours as Leo Moon as a solo performer with a current album in the works showcasing his delicate fretwork, mesmerizing voice, and resting lyrical storytelling. So grab a beer, relax, and enjoy this episode of Soul Boat Sessions with guest Brian Cook. All right, so Brian, welcome, man. Thank you so Thank you. much Thank for you coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is great to see you. Um, with us today is Brian Cook of... So many awesome projects that, like, I'm going to lose count here. So you're going to have to, like, jump in and, 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 and remind me if I'm missing anything. But not only is he a rock and roll drummer and founding, co-founding member of Blitz and Trapper, one of the great Portland bands, um, he is also the singer and composer and guitarist in Deadly, a duo that is awesome and has actually played here at Wolves and People. That was super fun. Just kind of impromptu jam. And then... Also, a new project called Leo Moon, and an actor as well. You've been appearing on all kinds of stuff. And that's actually how we met, is you were doing a video podcast. <laughs> and I think I was invited to come in um, to talk about beer and, we'll right. people and with Liz and Shearer. And 
she uh, she was working with this uh, tank company that is no longer around, but they were running a podcast, and that's how we met. And we were like, you were like dressed up as like Wyatt Earp, you know, a bartender. Yeah, you had this like awesome vintage thing going on, and I was like, what is happening? I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. That was a funny gig because that gig very squarely fell into the category of jobs that i should not have been hired for but <laughs> did anyway because i needed the money and was glad for the work yeah but i definitely had no business being there i think it was very much liz's show and she knew what she wanted to do but i think didn't feel comfortable doing it all on her own wanted to have another voice there and then i just ended up standing there the whole time while she would talk because she had a lot to say and i didn't and so i Instead of, I thought that I maybe I would help lubricate the conversation a little more and add a comedy element, but usually the, the show would just kind of barrel through those opportunities. So I think that after like five episodes, they cut me out, rightfully so. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we're just going to do it without you. The reason like you couldn't get a word in edgewise is because nerdy brewers like me were like talking too much about their own shit and like going on and on about well, like... You were going back and forth with Liz... <laughs> As it was probably meant to be, you know? There wasn't a need for me, is all I'm saying. I was happy to do those episodes. I just felt kind of silly, because they were long, and I would stand there, like, every once in a while, I would just, like, fill your guys' glasses and and be like, mm, mm-hmm, you know? But <laughs> I didn't really have much to offer. Dude, I loved it. I thought it was super fun, and I just remember staying around afterwards and totally splitting the atom and enjoying talking about beer and music and... Um, we hit it off right away, and yeah. then here it is, like, many years later, you've been to the brewery a bunch, and we've been, like, following your awesome career, and so it's just so cool that you decided to come back, so thank yeah, you for visiting. Yeah, you're good people, so it's easy. Thank you. And yeah. this, this property is also really memorable and, and amazing, too, so when we got to come out here, it was like, um, I don't know, just sort of enriched what I already knew about you, and it was really cool. Oh, right on. Thank you. Well... With, like the the podcast is uh, really just about beer and music, you know. Like you know, the best podcast about the two best things ever, beer and music, right? I mean, we just thought, what if we could just sit around and talk about the things that we love most, and see, and you know, vibe with other people on what they're doing and what their interests are, um, whether it is beer, whether it's music, whether it's a crossover, you know. And like you know, you're you're someone who has had uh, such an amazing, I'm sure. Uh, experiences like playing at breweries playing um you know that's another place that that i i guess that before we met i went to see blitz and trapper and wilco at the uh brewery in bozeman oh yeah and yeah at uh big sky brewery and this is just one of the best shows i've ever been to the whole thing we were right up front for your set and for wilco with my bro and such an important night um so that was just another example of like lo loving the combo and like enjoying, enjoy, you know, enjoying that setting. So do you, do you remember like the, I don't know, the first big show you played at a brewery or at know? a brewery? Gosh, I don't know. I've played probably several hundred now at this point. <laughs> right. It's impossible to remember, but um, I mean, there's a lot of amazing breweries in the northwest like that was sort of especially when the pandemic was going on um really a really helpful extension of my musical career was just um sort of taking the lumps of the pandemic and seeing what was possible and we were already had our toes in the pool of the um cara and i in the in the winery and brewery circuit for music and then when the industry shut down during the pandemic the first thing that came open was 
wineries in the summer. Yeah. Breweries outdoor. Yep. So we did when everyone else was not playing at all. We were playing a lot. Yep. Just you know, but space you know, with all the spacing and the masking and all that. But outdoor music, as soon as it started to happen, it was like we were. It seemed like one of the uh, a fewer number of bands that were out there and able to play because we were in our own pod together. So we yeah. could we could do that. Your partner. Kara, you mentioned Kara, yeah. pardon me, um, in Deadly. Yeah. So you're the duo. Not uh, you guys played here on kind of impromptu one night during outside. the pandemic. Yeah. It was yeah, it was magic magical evening. The sun's going down, and it just kind of worked out. We don't, we, you know, we still can't have amplified music outside, and so it was like this, like kind of a bummer thing where we couldn't feel like I didn't feel like we could give you the billing you guys deserved. Mm. But um, it was still a really cool night, and you know, we had a fun time, you know, catching up and. You know, in a, in a low key evening and hearing you guys sing together was just so magical. Thank so, you, thank yeah. you. That's nice. Yeah. I don't know that we deserved any kind of billing, but we definitely it was fun. We just it was more like busking because we just had two <laughs> guitars and two voices and nothing electric, as yeah. far as I remember. That's, that's right. Yeah, no mics. Yeah, yeah. No mics. I mean, someday we want to have a festival here. Um, we would love to. You know, we can do one perfect uh, property for it. Like just the area is so beautiful. There's really nothing happening out here for live music and, you know, here in Newburgh, Oregon, where we record the show. Um, we, we've talked about this uh, at some point before, but there was an amphitheater here in the 90s that yeah. had amazing shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shampooy. Yeah. 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 Incredible uh, memories for me going to shows there in high school and college or college, I guess, only. But uh, then it shut down. Yeah. And so since then, there's never been anything else going on in the, the nearest the nearest venue that is uh, an amphitheater would be in Forest Grove where McMenamins is doing their thing and then Edgefield. And so we have, you know, total delusions of grandeur that we're going to build a massive outdoor <laughs> rock festival someday. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, del- delusional. It's yeah. grand. It is <laughs> grand, grand. but grand. that's the best ideas are. And it isn't like it's coming out of nowhere. You've already got this property and the vision for it. So it just makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I should backpedal. We don't want to do anything grand or over the top. We just want to have a cool, you know. Grand in the thing. sense of like like flamboyant, maybe. Grand yeah. in the sense of like, oh, what a grand dress you're wearing. Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be fun. I mean, there's, we love playing music around on the on the property, and the bluegrass jams are fun, and, you know, it's, it's got good musical, musical vibes. Here. It's amazing that it's like, I was struck just driving in, and it's like right off the freeway. It's like yeah. touching the freeway. Yeah. That, that tree line is. Yep, yep. So, um, going back to around that era when we met, um, I was, you know, you were, you were so funny. You were doing like this, like, so, I mean, you were cracking me up. On I remember the bartending thinking, this thing? Thing's hilarious. What's that? On the show? Yes. Oh, I don't remember show. it being funny at all. And, um, I thought it was really good. And <laughs> you were doing, um, you, you're, you're also an actor. Do you want to tell us a little bit about like what's going on with that? Um, well, I went to, to, uh, theater school at PSU in the early aughts. And got my degree in theater performance there. Um, I, you know, admittedly not the most prestigious school, but I definitely poured every ounce of energy I had into it. I really got the most out of it that I could. And an enormous school uh, student loan bill. That I <laughs> right. Have yeah. probably very little expectation to pay. But... Uh, yeah, I just I had a really great time there, and I started a theater company right out of out of school. Did a couple shows, and they did pretty well. And then, um, and then the band got signed to Sub Pop, and we started touring. And we started touring so much that doing theater, yeah, doing doing theater 
just was scheduling logistically impossible because it usually takes about three months to do a production, like six weeks of rehearsals, pretty typical, and six weeks of performance. And maybe you might get it down to a month each, but that's still two months, and we were never home for more than two or three weeks. Gosh. We were just always coming home and going out because we were young and hungry in those days, and we had just gotten signed and and um, had gotten a little bit of buzz, and so we had a lot of offers, and we just would take them all. Yeah. And so we would just be touring. When you say time. offers, like to show up, play at festivals and some, yeah, more and more the next after the next record, but but right 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 away we were getting offers to just to open for to jump on bills, or maybe it was I don't even know if we were getting the offers or if we were just like if our management was submitting to them and they were just accepting us but whatever for whatever however that transpired we were able to suddenly not we were not touring at all and then suddenly it was like we our our whole year was like booked out and then the next year same thing and um so yeah all that touring busyness started in 2007 and then that's kind of when i stopped doing theater for the most part i did a little bit in 2008 did another show and then pretty much decided i had enough time and so i got a uh, a talent agent here in town or in Portland, Dennis Troutman out of uh, the option agency. He's been my acting agent since like 2009, I think. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he's awesome. And, a squad. um, so I, yeah, and I don't do a lot of acting. Honestly, I do a lot of auditioning, but I don't act as much as I'd like cause it's just so competitive, but I, I'm auditioning all the time. I book, nice. very, book very, very little. Well, and when I do, I'm really glad for it. But yeah, of course. I, I well, I enjoy the the some of the shorts and comedy shorts and stuff that you've done with it. There's a friend of yours that you guys did some kind of skit kind of. When was a music festival kind of based thing? I feel like, but anyway, oh, it was really fun. Probably my buddy Aaron Ross. We did a bit at Pickathon, like on location yes. there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they just they they gave him the chance to to have a small budget and make a comedy material that would hopefully. All, you know, be fun to write and make some kind of sketch thing or improv or something, and then they would release it in bundles to advertise. Pickathon was the idea. Yeah. So we made some dumb like Point Break style parody, <laughs> so stupid in the best way. But like, I don't know that anyone saw it, but but uh, it was fun. My favorite part was was uh, we did a sketch where we we were uh, juggalos who were at Pickathon and being like, wow, this place is amazing and there's like no violence. <laughs> I haven't been stabbed once. It's incredible. <laughs> the Juggalo gathering. And they were like, it was two. the idea. It was also like, because I think people have sort of a wrong impression of Juggalos as being um, like aggro, which I'm sure some are, but they're aggro, you know, they're are like super aggro hippies, you know, it just, That's true. it's, yeah, and sometimes a lot, but like, I don't know. So we, we were kind of riffing on the idea that these guys were like the sweetest, most innocent people ever who just loved music and were having their minds blown by new bands, you know? Oh, that's awesome. It was fun. Pickathon is such a magic environment. Um, yeah. Have you been to that, Andrew? Pickathon? Okay. you got to go sometime. It, it kind of stopped for a minute during the pandemic, but uh, I've only been once, but there's, you know, a concert. What year did you go? Oh. I went to the year that I... Oh, let me think here for a second. I wanted to see the War on Drugs, and they were playing um, in the in the, you know, in the the you Woods stage or whatever, you know? So um, that must have been like 2016 or 18, somewhere in there, you know, several years ago. Um, and I couldn't stay that long. There was some something going on, and I, and I... But I remember cruising through the grounds and just feeling like that... 
you know, for those people listening, Picathon is a festival based on a farm outside of Portland in the woods, and it is, you know, on what Happy might Valley. Sound, what's that? Happy Valley. Happy Valley. That's right. It's in the Happy Valley. It, it sounds, you know, kind of like super hippie and idyllic, but it really, they really pull it off. In the best years, the venue is, there's, you know, hay bales everywhere. Everyone's low key. There's a bunch of camping. There's stages that are like back in the woods with, you know, like yeah. tree arching over the stage. It's, and it's aesthetically really amazing. amazing beautiful. right? Yeah. Very yeah, beautiful. And they were also like um, pretty forward thinking as far as like trying to get rid of um, disposable plastic stuff. So they yes. were like renting out. People would get a metal cup and you would use it the whole time and you'd rent it or you'd pay for it and you'd get your, I think you'd get your money back at the end. Or so. I can't remember yeah. how it went, but it was like, they're just trying to come up with new ideas to eliminate waste as well. Um, not the most sexy topic, but like, but there were, it was in a very interesting small festival, but it's interesting how big it's gotten. I think it's been, I think it was sold recently. Yeah. So now it's being booked by a much, a really big company elsewhere. And um, so it, it, it's still an amazing thing. I think it, it doesn't have, this is such an old man thing to say, it doesn't have the same <laughs> feeling it did when it was growing. Because at some point, I think it was just a bunch of friends picking bluegrass instruments. Yeah. It was just, you know, probably like a few bands. Very and, small. Idea, yeah, and it yeah. just caught on. And then it became a thing. And then once it became a thing, and then it, then it really generated interest. And um, it's just, it's been interesting to see its development over the years you know there's another one too called northwest string summit i think they had their last one okay that was you're right that was the last one that was yonder mountain string bands thing and uh they i went to that with my wife and we were amazed at how like how rustic it, it was it was sort of like pickathon on, on patchouli you know distilled distilled to the thousandth degree it was it was so rootsy deep in the woods everyone was like definitely altered in the you know on magic mushrooms there are little kids running which i find around funny the that you'd want to listen that one would want to listen to <laughs> nine hours of bluegrass fast picking bluegrass on those kinds of drugs because to me i would be like that would drive me a little batty <laughs> hey don't knock it till you try it i mean i played the thought experiment out in my mind palace <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah, it is definitely had that feeling, and at night things were, you know, we we had to get home, um, but things were things were getting pretty loose and crazy. But it was fun, you know. There, it's just about playing music in the woods, you know, being outside in the summer and warm and dusty, kind of, and like, it, you know, it was really. It was fun. nice. It was really nice. Night was even better, I feel like there, because especially when the, on those days where, because the main stage is right in the sun, and and nobody wants to go up near the stage till like <laughs> nine or eight. Because yeah. the tree line doesn't start blocking the sun until pretty late. That's true. So yeah. there's always this huge opening in the because the, the, if the day is hot, <laughs> like in the middle where no one's at, just a so you're kind of playing to the people in the shadows <laughs> on the hillside. Oh, that's funny. Like solar beam is just like moving people away as it yeah, attracts. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, what are some of you've must have played hundreds, like hundreds of festivals and big shows? What no, are some not of that like, many, but a good deal of festivals. Yeah, are there some highlights that like stand out of like? Great shows, memorable yeah. or funny. Sure, or, sure. I mean, you guys did like Letterman or so, or was it like we did do we did do talk shows um, during our like kind of buzz year or two. Wow. Yeah, that we did. Been uh, so fun. We did Fallon twice. We did um, Conan was the first thing we did. Conan. 
Yeah, and I had like a full-on panic attack while I was playing the simplest possible song. Oh man! Uh, all I have to really do is just keep it on the like the the four on the floor for most of the song, sing a simple harmony. But I was like losing my brain. Just I was. It'd be too, intense. The lights. The you know. You know the whole I just wasn't used lights. to TV, and so in my mind, I had tricked myself into thinking about all these people watching it. You know trying to con- just like getting lost in the thought of all these millions of people that might watch it but that's not how it goes you know you're just playing to the room and i didn't know that really at the time i was just i didn't know i just was in a panic attack completely natural to be nervous though in that moment yeah you know what i mean like conan o'brien is an incredible character and you know like he's he's like six six or something yeah, he's a big and guy. I, what if you like you know if you caught his eye and he's sitting over there behind the desk kind of like giant you might be like oh no what's happening yeah. <laughs> you know he's he's imposing he yeah. isn't, but he was nice. Uh, I didn't talk to him. He talked like for two seconds, I think, to okay. Eric. Come up and shake. Yeah, and then... yeah. But he was, um, thought he was super funny. What was amazing was seeing in the dressing room. Uh, there's a little monitor that like feeds you what's happening on stage as the techs are working and everything. And at some point, he came out to work on some stuff, and they had the lights up, and he was sitting there, and had like uh, no makeup on, and he looks vastly different. Interesting. Because then when he comes out, because of the because of the lights and the camera and everything, he's got a shit ton of pancake makeup on. So his yeah. skin's a whole different, like unified color. Whoa. Whereas I think without it all, he's a you know creature of the night. He's very pale and pasty, and just you know it's interesting to see that difference. Like he lives oh, in that's a his real, that's like that's his real face, you know. Yeah. And because you're used to seeing the pancake makeup version. Right, and his hair is all done, yeah. big suit and everything. I guess these yeah. days he's, he, has, he has a podcast on which he seems a little, he's more his normal self. So you see that. But it was interesting at the time because I had never seen like his real face. Right, right. Um, but the best part about that was afterwards, even after like, surviving this panic attack. So you, got, you made it through. Yeah, if you watch it, you can't tell. There's just like <laughs> the faintest glimmer of fear in my eyes. But, but if you watch it like afterwards, um, uh, as soon as the, they cut... Uh, Max Weinberg came up and he was like, wow, you guys were really great. And then he like shook my Max hand Weinberg. and he was like, that was so, that was really musically beautiful. It was really beautiful music. Max now, Weinberg said that to Yes. And that was, is so awesome. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, I'm feeling better now. Oh my God. What a huge compliment. Yeah. I mean, so he's the band leader of the, of the band. He's Bruce, Conan. Bruce Springsteen's drummer forever. An, an incredible drummer. Yeah. Incredible band leader. He's like the, the Jean-Baptiste, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of, of Conan in that era. And, um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, amazing. And he, he was, uh, what a showman, you know, the way he plays, too. Uh-huh. He's like that drummer who's, like, sort of, like, somehow levitating over the set and smiling. And, like, his head is still, but his, like, hands are flying everywhere. And, the, and he's like a, doing fills. Like and just some, like, like sesh player sitting in for a church. He's, like, so happy. It's like... yeah like a gospel player or something yeah yeah but it was really nice to just he didn't have to say that anything to me you know it was nice maybe he's, so maybe he saw the fear in my eyes <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure it was sure it was an awesome performance and like um so yeah being on tv being in new york with your bandmates how fun you know it's super so cool. fun especially because i i don't i can't remember that I, I don't think i ever went to new york city before touring so that was the year that we were well, within a year and a half of that, we were was, we were doing all of our first major touring of like our first time hitting the big cities and doing a full circle of the states, and uh, then going over and doing a, our first like six week long tour of Europe with opening up for a San Francisco duo called Two Gallants and just 
seeing so much of the world and having all these firsts as a band at the same time it was pretty amazing it felt like like this is this is about as good as it gets oh i'm sure i selfishly or just because i love belgium and we're all about belgian beer here did you go to belgium the u.s oh, yeah Been there yeah ncn belgique or i was whatever. just there in november 21 really yeah okay it's a great venue um i got a good story um i, I this is such a, a a sort of like niche story about beer that i i feel like i have to tell it because i saw you guys opening for wilco and i was um the, the short version is i was in brussels when wilco's posters appeared around town staying in a youth hostel and there was a gal staying there from south carolina or something and i'm like you want to go catch the show i'm like who's it wilco, what, what, wilco it, was in, it was in brussels yeah this is way back this is 96 uh, or early 97, spring of 97. And so, I mean, ancient history at this point. But she's like, Wilco from um, the U.S.? I was like, yes, they're, they're, I, I think. I mean, they're, they're posters around town. What, what year? 97. Oh, wow. So being there was, uh, the, it was just released. Uh, AM and being there had come out. And that's it. And so we went down to the venue and kind of waited. And sure enough, out comes Wilco. It wasn't sold out. And they played a kind of a rock show. Like, kind of belting it out and i was like into the alt country the mellow sounds of that album i love it still it's one of my you know one of my desert island records probably um being there so good and they belted it out and i had this newfound kind of like awe of of the band and the the vibe they brought and we're standing around after the show kind of high-fiving drinking beer and like suddenly we're standing there with the former drummer ken coomer and he was like, hey, guys, how's it going? We're just Because we're just standing there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, that was awesome. He's like, we're going you know, to get a beer. And I'm like, do you know where to go? And I'm like, I just moved here like yesterday, but I, I know the name of a place. So he, he and I and this gal and one of his roadie um, colleagues from the tour went to a bar in Brussels called Ultime Hallucinati, which means last hallucination. <laughs> And we went in there and ordered shitloads of beer. And they're like, we got it. We're buying beers. And you don't have to do that. you know. We're, but I'm like a backpacker or a student, basically, at this point. And totally in awe that this is happening as well. Like, <laughs> well, how is this happening? You know, We had so much fun. And then drank a bunch of strong beers and, and wandered out into the Grand Place. And we're going across. And then we run into Jeff Tweedy and all the rest of the guys. And they're on their way. He doesn't really drink that mm-hmm. much at this point. And everyone else going the other way we just kind of stopped for a little moment in the grand place of brussels and just like hey you know, it's your, it's, you know, that's amazing low key but it was just like such a nice memory yeah and yeah he later left the band but i got to meet him another time and when they played a portland show and i ran to him another time he's like i remember you from brussels and yeah. it's like yeah we drank a lot of beer that night so it was just like such a fun memory so of being great. in brussels and being surprised by everything and drinking crazy beer it was just one of my happiest memories i can see why I mean, those guys are just the best. So good, right? I mean, what what was that like? If you, if I may, you know, ask playing with them or touring oh, with them. Oh man, it was like heaven. It was like uh, I don't know. They they they're doing something that I respect so deeply, and and, and take so many cues and notes from uh, all the members. Are so good at what they do, and they do it so well together, and they still love music so much that they get together before the show and jam out versions of older songs that they may have forgotten or they're always mixing up the set it's a very fan it's a very fan centric way of performing like and and maybe it's selfish in the sense that maybe they like that that maybe jeff likes to keep it mixed up i don't know but it seems like the effect is it's really amazing for for hardcore fans because they're going to hear 
the songs that they want to hear that, that maybe don't get played normally or yeah or if you go it's going to be different every time i just kind of love that like oh, yeah. they, they play long shows and when we were touring with them i would sit side stage for almost every show and just and watch practically the whole thing what was it about the, them like uh, well i guess as a as a drummer like uh, to me the rhythm section they've been together for so long um well this current lineup yeah. for many years I mean, I, I, I think of them as such a multi-layered band, like so many different things going on, great songwriting. They can kind of change gears, you know, they can go from like this like mellow, almost whispery, you know, acoustic balladry to like prog rock, yeah. you know, in the same song. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm still, I mean, their records come out. In fact, right now I'm, I'm listening on uh, repeat this super long album they just put out called Cruel Country. Have you heard it? So good. It's amazing. It's and I've been going on these country drives for for the touring that we've been doing. And and when when Kara's sleeping or whatever, and I'll put on this record, or if I'm by myself and I'm driving, I'll put it on. And it's like, it's such an amazing album. It's different than what they've been doing. And and the songs are, are impactful. And the lyrical content is amazing. Like, it's not... There, he shows no sign of slowing down. If nothing else, get, he's getting better as a songwriter as he grows older, and I, I think it's inspiring to watch. I agree. Um, do you have that book, the songwriting book he, he wrote called How to Write One no, Song? No, but it's on my it's on my wish list. Yeah. It, uh, a friend gave that to me, and um, actually, Emily, our beekeeper, gave me that book. Yeah, as a gift. And uh, Emily Schmiedel, she'll be a, a guest on this show at some point. Um, when she's not building hives and, and so busy doing what she does. But um, I thought that book was so beautiful. And so, it was so it's so witty and dry and self-deprecating. He just some, uh, yeah. What's it called again? How, how to Write One Song. I just re- I read his other book, whatever the newer one Let's is. Go Before So that We Can one. Get Back or something that like one. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's so cool. Um, that He has time to write and, like, yeah, and tour and have family and yeah. stuff. It's, it's pretty great. Um, so you guys are still are you still playing occasional shows with Blitz and Trapper? Or like, yeah, in fact, I don't know when this is coming out. You might probably I think based on what we were talking about earlier, I'm assuming we'll probably miss it. But um, in oh, I guess there's I guess it's not really relevant because there's no Portland show. Is there? Well, you can talk about it. You know, well, we have, we're going on a short we're going on a short run. Um, on our way out to a festival in uh, Nevada, and then um, Dead Lee is also doing a, um, a West Coast short West Coast run, opening up for Sam Chase and the Untraditional uh, in mid-May. But that'll that'll be moot by the time this comes out. Well, but that doesn't mean you can't check out our music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Blitz and Traveler se- several records out, and then Dead Lee. You guys have eleven. T- t- how many? Blitz and Trapper, I think yeah. 11 now. 11? I think we just finished our 11th. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's so much Yeah, work. we just finished a new album that's probably not going to come out until, I would assume, spring. But okay. um, yeah, we're still playing songs mostly from the back catalog and uh, Holy Smokes, Future Jokes. Oh yeah. I like that record a lot. Is is there is it the same band members as the No, in, in twenty nineteen or when the pandemic sort of shut everything down, the, the we went through our first um major lineup change in twenty years. So three of the band um 
moved away, left the band, and and uh, what was left over was myself and Eric. And it's always you guys pretty, are it's the always founders. pretty much yeah, but it's always pretty much just it's always been Eric's songs. They've always been he's the driving engine of the band. He's the songwriter. So yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'm the only other original member, and uh, we have two guys that um, are two roles that are filled usually by uh, our former front of house sound guy Nathan Vanderpool um, plays guitar and sings. Um, but he's also very busy doing front of house for Fruit Bats and uh, Bonnie Prince Billy, or, or oh not Bonnie God. Prince Billy, um, Bonnie Light Horseman. Oh, and so awesome uh, so when he's not when he's out on the road, then somebody else fills in. And then uh, this gentleman, Michael Elson, is um, filling in on keyboards, and he's an amazing multifaceted um, pianist, organist, extraordinaire. Well, you also play not only drums, but you play guitar and you play a harmonica. Mm-hmm. And like, tell us a little bit about like the inspiration for Dead Lee, how that came up. And I think mm. there's another solo project that you have. Oh, okay. Well, I'm playing solo shows right now, but just a handful here and there. I'm um, just sort of testing out this idea of playing by myself just to have a, an outlet for songs I'm writing and testing them, you know? Uh, but uh, about like I don't know nine months ago, I uh, pretty much stopped drinking. Like I'm, for all intents and purposes, I don't drink. But every once in a while, when the mood strikes me, I might have a shot or I might um, throw back a, a glass of champagne to celebrate something. But for the most part, I don't. And it's kind of revolutionized my. Um, my sort of metabolism and the way that I engage with the world. I just have so much more energy now and I'm writing way more. I got through all this writer's block that had been hitting me for years. Um, and so I think maybe in the wake of being unblocked, I'm kind of vomiting out a lot of songs right now and I just want to play them for people and just test them. That's so awesome. I mean, you can't underestimate the, the importance. In the beer industry, there is, uh, I would say, growing conversation around mental health and physical health that isn't quite loud enough yet at times. Like, industry has gone through various times when there's kind of like a moments of people sort of coming, you know, to a, a more open place and talking about things. But um, you, you, you can't be at your best as a brewer um, if, if you're, you know, uh, you know, working on a hangover and like distracted or poor sleep and those things really happen. You know, yeah. if you, if you've had too much to drink, you're, you're going to be groggy the next day. And, you know, we work with, you know, equipment, uh, every day we're with, you know, forklifts and heavy, heavy equipment, power tools here and there. <laughs> we did some power tools today. Um, you know, and you gotta be sharp, you know, and, and beyond that too, like just as in, in terms of healthfulness and, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to say, like, that we're defined by it, but I would say most of our beers are low ABV. I mean, that's that's a conversation that we have amongst ourselves a lot because we enjoy beer and we want to sit around and drink a few, but we're not trying to get drunk. That's not the point. We're not trying to – we don't want to ever see a customer who's had too much. That's that's We failed as a brewery if we see a customer who's inebriated. That's the absolute worst-case scenario because how are they going to get home? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what What's going on here? It should not should not see that. So – um, you know, not, not to pat ourselves on the back here, but like we care about that and it's very important, you know, and, um, various times, various times, um, employees and myself, we go through dry spells and tell everyone I'm not drinking this week or not drinking this month. And that's great. 
Mm-hmm. I am. We are full, hundred percent in support of that. You know, and it should be. I'm, I'm sure in the rock world, and the music world, there's all kinds of you know kind of natural inclination to just throw a bunch of beers back after a show, or because mm-hmm. you, know, you have that like adrenaline rush, and then you know, they come down, and it would be a natural time. Uh, so probably yeah, I think alcohol is wonderful for uh, a lot of things, and um, it's sort of like you know, it's like a like any hammer or tool that can be used either way. And I, 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 I loved, I had like a honeymoon phase with it when I was younger where I didn't see any of the downsides and I, you know, just ah, youth. was like, yes, this is amazing. And, and then after a while, I think I started to recognize it was a, just a cheap, not, not really cheap, but it was a, a, an accessible, socially acceptable way to kind of numb a lot of stuff going on in my life. And, um, you know, there's no stigma around using it to numb. And and after a long time of touring and just habitually getting into a place where I wasn't really choosing to drink anymore, I was just, like, fulfilling this, like, daily social contract of just drinking for the sake of, what I don't know why, just drinking every day. So it couldn't really be special. It was just something I had to do. Or yeah. out of boredom or habit or whatever it had become. And so I just wanted to not do that and like and have a little bit of money in my pocket. And so when I stopped for a month... I was really incredibly, I was like wowed by how amazing I finally felt. I was like, I haven't felt this good in a long time. So I just stopped for another month and then it became three and then it became four and um, it's been nine now. And it's so, it's that is not a, something I'm consciously like avoiding or like I will never drink again. I just like how I feel. Absolutely. And, yeah, that is rad. And I can't, and I also can't discount the fact that I, it did unblock me artistically and um, that's nothing to laugh at or sneeze at, you know, however you say that. It's nothing to to belittle because to me that was like a huge something in my in my psyche that I think for years I was kind of suffering under was like this desperate want to express myself and to create, but just feeling for whatever reason, whatever yeah. excuse, whatever the thing was, just totally blocked and not being able to really say what I want to say, how I want to say it, or. Or have the confidence to follow through with what I was trying to do. And yeah. So yeah, I just changed things radically. And, and so that's the only reason I, for doing the Leo Moon shows is just like um, wanting to just try things without any like pressure. Because there's no, there's no pressure. It's like I'm playing shows at like McMenamin's and places where, you know, people may listen, they may not. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, tell us more about Leo Moon and the the, the, the um, creative sort of like impetus behind the the name and the songs that you're doing. How does it differ from Dead Lee? And well, you asked me earlier about how Dead Lee was born, and it just Dead Lee started out with Kara um, and I. We were uh, living together. We were a couple, and we were sharing each other's songs. And we realized quickly that we could sing really easily, well together, and so it was just fun. And 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 that was in 2017 and and we um i started like messing around on guitar to one of her songs and it was around that time that um uh blitz and trapper took a full year off for the first time in like 17 years like a full no touring nothing and suddenly i was just out of need needed work and so we put together a, a little ep uh, recorded at home, and I just sent it around to a bunch of wineries and breweries, and it actually was well received. I was 
pretty shocked because it was a pretty slow quality recording. I don't know what I'm doing. I just made it on GarageBand, you know. But um, but it it caught people's attention enough that they booked us, and we ended up playing a ton. And that that little tiny EP recorded for like forty dollars. Um, it got us to like Europe and to Ireland and so to, awesome. Yeah, was, I was like, what ha- what would happen if we actually recorded professionally? <laughs> so. Yeah, so then we did our follow-up EP, which is our last one, Ride or Die, and then the pandemic happened, and we kind of put it out during the pandemic. Um, but we're in the studio right now to make uh, our first full-length with a full band arrangement. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah, it's a whole sonic, sonically, it's a whole different world because it's not, just. it's like, it's still limited, but like not not as much like that we can do like you know rock it's gonna, it's gonna be a lot more upbeat rock and roll nice oh that's exciting well you guys have such cool harmonies together too and like that was one of the things that struck me uh you know right off the bat like a, a really really profound uh kind of like you know vibrationally your voices work so well together you oh, know thanks. and it just sounds so so great and i just like the the mood of the music too i, I don't know how to put it into deadly uh d-e-a-d-l-e-e um, you can find out more about them online if you if you have an internet connection, um, which you should. But like, look, look, go and listen to the music. I love the like the mood that is. It's sort of like this roadhouse kind of like troubadour traveling, a little wistful, melancholy, a little dusty kind of. It's just like a really um, archetypally American sounding music. Mm. You know, it's really fucking cool. Yeah, I don't really like to. I'm really bad with labels because I think. I don't. I don't know. I think word games get people wrapped up into the part of the brain that's not as important as listening to, to music is. You know, like I think when you're listening to a band and you start thinking things about like, well, where are they from or what, what you know, this and that. I think you're kind of out of it. I think it's like experiential first, and then the thoughts and the discussion come later. And so I always want the experience to come first. And I'm some. I think I'm reticent to like say Maybe. it's this genre. But I like the notion of it, of it being more like shoegazy country folk. I don't know, something in the in there because there's like a psychedelic element that we're trying to pull in, um, as well as keep it honest to the kinds of songs we write. This new one's a little more um, expansive. It's just like it's, there's more ideas involved. It's a little more. It's got like '90s grunge elements in it. I think. I mean, that's how oh. I hear it. But like, hardcore country and folk. And, I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. Like when you say hardcore country, you mean like pedal steel? And, there will know? be some on there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh wow. A little bit on because there's a couple like straight up country tunes that she's written, and I've written a couple like psych rock tunes, and um, and there's some some more traditionally deadly type stuff in there too. But it'll all sound different just by virtue of having a full rhythm section in it. So awesome. I feel like right now that, that style of music is, is finally kind of a, a arriving to wider audiences and there are more projects and more more sounds coming out in, in that nature. I'm thinking of um, the, the moniker Cosmic Country. I think yeah. that's a Daniel Donato thing, but like it may, that maybe is how he describes his music or like something. Like Sturgill Simpson or... What's that? Like Sturgill Simpson type stuff. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, well, you know, Rose City Band here locally, great mm. band. They have such a good sound. 
um, you know, kind of reverb drenched, a little like a little far away. Like some, there's some strumming and acoustic stuff going on, but also a little bit of a dreamy, yeah. you know, a little bit of a droning and dreamy kind of you know fifth gear groove that you're in. And it's just it's so fun to listen to. I mean, for me personally, that's the style of music I want to listen to all the time. So I really look forward to hearing that record. That is yeah, awesome. I'll send you some tracks once we start getting some rough some that, rough stuff put together. I love it. That's so cool. Um, and so when is that uh, next Deadly project then going to come to fruition? I don't know. We're, um, we have, we're, we're, we're about a third of the way through recording it, but we have to take a little break for this tour. Um, so probably won't wrap up until probably July, I would think. Nice. And then, and, and then it takes, you know, however long to manufacture it. But um, we could probably have CDs not that long after. Vinyl is just forget about it. it takes a year now to get as everyone's printing vinyl right it's just like you got to have vinyl at the merch table but you know yeah it's a huge back line a back order that's I, a, that's okay we started I'm curious where it's at now i just got demoralized asking about it because it was like yeah if you put it you put your order in now maybe 10 months from now you'll have your vinyl maybe wow. and then like okay put it in now it's actually going to be more like 11 months i was like i that's, don't know do you remember the first record you ever got? Like mine? Yeah, that I bought. Yeah, like the when you went to a record store, like Music Millennium or where, you know, wherever you grew up. Like, where did you go and buy that first record and come home and like? I don't remember what the first one was, but I remember when I was um, living in Salem at my parents' house and uh, was working as a pizza delivery driver, smoking hella weed all day. Of course, I I got into like Pink Floyd and I had just came into them late, and. And somehow a friend of mine, Holly Swisher, was like, you had never heard Dark Side of the Moon? Here, let's smoke this and we'll let's listen to that. And I remember in her basement, the world was never the same. Being like, oh yeah, it's really amazing. Like, <laughs> by having like a totally transformative experience. Yeah, just yeah, out of body experience. Loving it. I mean, like, the, that's amazing. And, and I recognized it for all of its amazingness. And I had just somehow never listened to it. I think I'd probably heard The Wall on radio. But I hadn't really listened to Pink Floyd before. So then I got everything I found I could find. So I was like, I even drove all the way out to Dallas because I heard there was a, a, an awesome secondhand vinyl shop there from Salem to Dallas. And uh, they had like seven primo amazing copies of all the early, like, like, one, uh, like six different records from, of their catalog, all in amazing primo shape for like 15 to 20 each. Oh my this gosh. is in like 90... Uh, I want to say like 95, 96. So I just went out and bought, I came back with a stack a of, stack like all of their Pink stuff. Floyd records. Yeah. It, you know, the early records are so epic. I, I have a, my first record I think was a Pink Floyd, I think it was Relics, which was like weird B sides thing. Mm. But Relics was sound at Payless Drugs in Newburgh, which is like where had, they had that. Payless, yeah, they had vinyl, and I, 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 got, um, I got Terrapin Station by the Grateful Dead and Relics. Uh, Pink Floyd record from like I think it's like seventy one. It's like around the time of Amagama, early stuff. But you know, I remember coming home with that feeling, just like the, you know, I'm like the cat with the canary, and you know, I'm like I'm coming home with this like exciting thing, oh, yeah. or thirteen or whatever, and put it on a record player. Never, never forget it. And uh, you know, Adam Hart, Mother, yeah, Metal, all the early Pink Floyd records still hold up. So influential. Yeah. I would say like today, so many bands are are kind of still still like chasing that like. Pink Floyd live at Pompeii sound, you know, like mm. 
Hammond organ drenched big searing David Gilmore solos like you can't really compare it to anything it was the well, that's not even to mention the whole Sid Barrett epoch before where it was like is it two or three records I think it's just the two that are pretty out there and out insane there. like a totally different band yeah yeah that's so true totally different band and um yeah that's oh that's awesome yeah, so we'll have to wait a year and a half or so for a Deadly Record on vinyl. But. On vinyl, probably. <laughs> Can you get an 8-track? Can you do that? I don't know. I'm sure you could. It would probably be a really expensive Coming back. process. Back who, who has that? Let's, you know, like, who, who could do that? Let's I don't do know. Let's do it. This is a business opportunity. Vinyl? Sorry. Too posh. Too much waiting. Let's do 8-tracks. <laughs> we had an 8-track player here and a box of 8-tracks, and they sounded freaking terrible. I mean, they, it's, not, it's not the most amazing sound mm. quality, we'll say that. I still do appreciate cassette tapes, though, how they sound. <laughs> it has a really interesting compression. Yeah, warm. Uh, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't have, obviously, the fidelity, but it's, there's something charming about it. You can, when you crank it you know, on a nice sound system, it sounds really good. That's so true. I went to my storage unit today, boring topic, but I opened the door and like 50 cassette tapes came tumbling onto the ground because they... F- Something shifted and they fell. So I'm picking these up. I'm like, not only have I had this storage unit for way too long, but why, you know, why am I still holding onto this tape? You know, I'm not even going to go into what it was, but there are like 30 tapes that just like spread across the like wet pavement. And I'm like picking them up one by one. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's <laughs> a jam. I might keep that, you know. And <laughs> tapes are, you know, you can still get a tape player in your car. You know, yeah. you should have a cassette player. I still that's listen to CDs in a van because that's all it came with in our van but i i had like vh i had a big box of like 200 or so 100 so um vhs tapes that i was carting around from house to house moving that i did not get rid of until finally like two years ago oh i had two and until then i always had two vhs players in case one died because they're always so crappy but i always was always like always uh and, and then for the longest time you could get Two or three VHS tapes at at, the, at like Goodwill for like a dollar or two, and cool. it was a nice it was a nice nostalgic medium. But then I just got so sick of moving it all around. <laughs> too many. We were literally talking about this today. Andrew had a, a collection. I did. What is what is the jewel of? He told me what is the jewel of his collection was. What is the jewel of your your VHS? Well, it was, collection? but I gave it to a friend. This is how good of a friend I am. Um, is I had uh, a, an original pristine trilogy of the star wars four five and six. Oh wow okay before lucas tampered with it oh yeah before it was ruined yeah jar jar banks and everything else yeah it was like before he you know went back in and digitally re- remastered anything it was the original um trilogy they changed oh that's a rabbit hole we shouldn't go down but yeah. like yeah but that's an awesome yeah that yeah i don't awesome. want to give that guy any more <laughs> lip service than we're, he's already we're got gonna, but, yeah, we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole um yeah awesome well, VHS, it's, out, it's still out there. Yeah. I've at at one point when we were fucking around with it, we would like record vocals and record guitar tracks down onto VHS just for the audio, just to see what it would do. See what it, would it was do. interesting. It didn't really uh-huh. yield very much, but... Like, reel-to-reel was the thing. That was like the standard for a long time. You know, big tape, big, large form. I don't know what you really call it, call it other than reel-to-reel, but you yeah. know, there's something said for that analog processing. Yeah, you know? super fun. I used, that's how I cut my teeth when I was first starting to write songs in my bedroom was on a four track Tascam, um just learning how to yeah multi-track 
learning how to compose with multiple instruments and I still have all those tapes too and they're horrible but like I did years of horrible horrible songwriting to get to a decent you know but you have I'm so good that you kept them and that you respect that history because you got to know you know the pro it's all about the process yeah. like you you know I mean not not to be too on the nose about it here but I have bottles of my first homebrew and it was fucking terrible like people spat it out and like their <laughs> eyes bulged out and they were like, why are you trying to kill me? Like, this is terrible. And I remember thinking, um, I will, uh, you know, I will do better. Like, I, I've got to get better. I cannot serve someone a beer again and have that reaction. This is really embarrassing. But not, not that, uh, you know, that, that everything has to be just a crowd pleaser, you know. But like, in beer, it, it helps if people are uh, nodding along, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Clapping along. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but it, it motivated me and I kept those. I have a couple cases of them in the basement somewhere and I just like pull them out every once in a while and look at it and be like, yeah, that's the thing. That was the moment that I like, I wanted to make beer for the rest of my life. If and that, I didn't know that, it was going to be terrible. If that had been like the best beer you ever made and you, and, and you <laughs> never got that good again, how long would those keep? <laughs> how long would they last? Oh, I mean. In a bottle. Yeah, honestly, like. Well, it depends on the beer. Some beers can last many, many years for sure, but not 21 years probably. I mean, it's there, every once in a while, someone finds a freaking like case of beer in a shipwreck or whatever, like Baltic Porter up in Russia or somewhere, and they like find it, and they go, yeah, the beer was still good. Well, yeah, it was under you know six atmospheres of oceanic pressure, and you know what I mean? Like That is very, very rare. That's Most the only beers, kind of that beer I can drink now. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very seldom that a beer lasts more than for us. You know, we, we age beers up to three years here. And then, uh, you know, we drank one the other day that was six years old, uh, a bottle conditioned beer. So there's literally no oxygen in the bottle. It's been consumed by wild yeast early on. So there's, it's stable. It's pretty much a Polaroid of that moment. And the beer, the only thing that changes is very subtle changes in tartness that can creep up with certain wild yeast can like metabolize yeast cells. I'm going really off the deep end here, but like it can continue to get a little more funky and tart, but generally after like, you know, five, six, seven years, like the cap fails or, you know, the wild yeast starts to freaking, you know, metabolize the glass or something. I mean, yeah, it does, it doesn't last forever. I really think beer is best experience in the moment you know like when it's fresh when it's when it's you know when it's first tapped you know and like being present with it i i'm not personally into hoarding beer and keeping big stashes of rare beers around that's a whole thing and i you know it's kind of like yeah maybe people have millions and millions of uh, cds and things like you know i'm sure you have a great collection of music i collect it but i'm not trying to have the world's biggest music collection i'd much rather enjoy it in the moment and play and see it live and same with beer like i just want to like experience when it's fresh and, and and move on and i'm not trying to like build some cellar of valuable beers you know it's it's just not what we're about here we, we love beers that are ageable and we do that we really put a lot of pride into it but it, it's not something where we're like sticking them away for 10 years and you know for the most part so anyhow can um, i ask you a question what's that can i ask you a question please do yeah. what if you had to think if you had to pick one maybe like best drinking experience and best sh sh concert experience I mean, those can be different things holy cow that's kind of a tall order best drinking experience and concert like experience? Best, like yeah best like maybe the best beer you ever had just and it doesn't maybe the beer was not the whole reason you know what i mean like oh my gosh start with the best show and the best show i mean gosh the best beer 
you know, there, there's a there's a lot of moments that are kind of seared in my brain where sort of like the setting uh, and the the timing, the friends or the whatever it was was going on in life. It just felt so in- incredible. It's really hard to pick one, you know, I know. after a, a lifetime, you know, of doing it. I mean, I I think one of the like life changing moments was when I always come back to. It's so funny is like just drinking the first like bottle of Deschutes Mirapon Pale Ale that I ever tried when I was like eighteen or something. And it was back then, it, you know, it, they become a national brand now, and huge props to them, and, and amazing. But back then, they were still kind of an indie, you know, um, and, and, and fewer states. And I just remember smelling that beer from the cap distance from my face and sort of thinking, what is going on with this and the hop character? And it kind of re- rewired my brain. I can't say it was necessarily the best beer moment of my life, but it was one that definitely sort of like grabbed hold of my neurons, you know, like there's something very, very, very powerful uh, that can kind of grab a hold of you. I would say um, I had similar experiences. I mean, gosh, there there've been a lot of great times, like, um, you know, a s- simple moments with just friends, like on a rooftop in Brooklyn. And when I, I lived out there for a long time, having some beers and, and writing about beers, I really feel like I should have like a more prepared answer for you, but these answers are all wrong, by the way. They're wrong. <laughs> they're, yeah. Uh, what so about best show? Cut tape. Let's start over. Um, but no, it's uh, yeah. There's there's you know or the you know go taking it before that the first homebrew I tried from my best friend in college. He handed me a bottle of this beer that he called Abe's Ale, and it was the first time I'd ever tried a homebrew. And I never even knew you could brew beer at home at this stage. And it was so freaking delicious. And that was one of those moments like you can you can make your own beer. I, I love beer, but I'm drinking beer from like, you know, small but pretty industrial breweries in Portland at that time, like Henry Weinhardt's and stuff. And so I remember the hop character being there and just thinking, oh, my gosh, that the, the, the sense of potential was there. Like, it sort of like opened my mind like you can do this. Like, yeah. Anyone can do this. Yeah, that's how I felt in high school when I saw my friend's playing in, in rock bands, you know, in retrospect, probably, you know, semi-good, semi-poorly, depending, but, like, it seemed like the most amazing thing to me, and I was like, this is totally doable. Yeah. This is doable. They're oh, doing yeah. it. I can do this. Yeah. You know, I mean, I th- and I think that's the beauty, that's one of the beautiful things about the beer biz is, like, some passion, some willingness to screw up and make mistakes, you know, get, get basic uh, tactics, techniques down, and you know, uh, make some beer. It's not, you know, it's not impossible. It's not a too high of a bar to start. It's much more difficult to start a brewery, you know, and be, um, be a, you know, run a beer business. But, you know, um, you know, some of the be- best music and best shows are in that, like you were talking about, Pickathon and small, intimate, maybe a little bluegrass jam in the field, like, like turned into something more. I mean, you know, thinking about the, the best musical experience, like peak, peak ones. I mean, I, I've been an audience member mostly, and I played in some bands and, and had some fun. But like as an audience member, some of the ones that really just, I know, blew, blew my mind were like, I mean, a couple come to mind. My first Grateful Dead show, of course. I mean, you just cannot compare the sound quality and the, the feeling of being 16 and standing in front of the soundboard. What year was that? Uh, the first Dead show that I went to um, was, let's see here, 1990, uh-huh. June 23rd, 1990, at Anson Stadium and Eugene and um Little Feet was the opener and I went with my best friend and my dad had gotten us the tickets and he was like the last person to hand me a Grateful Dead ticket. And that was one of the funniest things. Like 
my bless his heart, my late father was a meat packer and very conservative. Somehow through business, someone gives him a bunch of tickets and he calls my mom to be like, uh, do you think Chris would like to go to the, the dead show? And my mom's like, well, I think so. I think he likes that music. You know, and she asked me, you know, your dad has some tickets to see the Grateful Dead and Eugene. Are you interested? And I was like, let me at him. You know, like, are you kidding me? So I called my best friend and my brother took me. And um, we get into the show and we're like, thanks, bro. We're going down to the floor now and race down to the floor. And we position ourselves in front of the soundboard. And some old hippies handed a joint to us and we're like, oh, nice. And um, it was a very funny moment because we were like, Oh, we we are kids really, you know. We we're sophomores in high school, but you know, or juniors, I guess. But we're standing there, and when when the when the sound started, when it, the, when the opener started, I literally remember every cell in my body kind of moving backwards about a foot. The bass, the sound mix, the whole thing opened up with "Feel Like a Stranger," and it was just one of those moments when I was like, I have never heard live music like this. I but I don't know what I was expecting, you know, American Beauty or something, something I wouldn't, hadn't been exposed to live dead stuff. Really. Mm. So it was that moment of being just like, holy cow, great show, long show. The rest of the show is a total blur. But this year it came out as a remastered concert, like on one mm -hmm. of the picks series, because they felt everyone felt so strongly about the quality. And, you know, they're always releasing material, but now it's out on CD. So, of course, I bought it and then got to relive that moment. So that was definitely one of those moments when I kind of felt like rock and roll could be so larger than life. The sound quality could be so incredibly good and crisp and just sort of, you know, awesome. And, you know, that's a larger than life moment. But plenty of moments that are just as memorable are more intimate and more mm -hmm. about just playing with friends in school and, you know, like low-key stuff. So I don't know. I, I couldn't live without it. It's, I, have to, I honestly say that you know, live music, seeing it, listening to it, it's the best thing. You know? That's why I get up in the morning almost. You know, I love it. I'm listening to it all day long. And now I have a five-year-old. My wife and I uh, and our son loves music, and we're trying to get him into tunes. And it's really fun. The year after you saw that show, I saw um, Nirvana... Whoa. Opening for Pearl Jam, what? opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> okay, okay, boom. I mean, three I mean, bands. And, and it still, I don't think, is that my top show because I was, I had an ear infection and I, and it was really painful. But I was, I was still was, was really inspired and amazed by the show. But it wasn't physically very pleasing because yeah. of the, my ear aches. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I saw Radiohead play their okay computer tour at the salem armory okay that would be amazing and they played it like masterpiece and it sounded exactly like the record i mean they were putting everything in it you know all the vocal vocal samples and all the harmonies were there everything yeah yeah and the way and it sounded they were it was like they were act, they were playing it out like the kind of like they were playing everything like that you wanted to hear it from the record but it was very much live but Probably. you know what i mean it sounded like a great facsimile of the record it was so beautiful sure. and uh yeah i'll never forget that show i think my the most transcendent show maybe i ever saw was probably gillian welch and dave rollins wow. at the a theater an old old theater in olympia and that was just like t traveling through time yeah I'm, i was in tears most of the show just like so mm -hmm. moved two people two voices two guitars in a huge theater, silent. Yeah. You can hear a pin drop, right? Yeah. Because they're just, they've captivated the crowd. 
that 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 stuff their material um it's i can't reduce it to one or two songs but you know uh, there was a, a large output for many years a bunch of records and yeah it was so i mean her voice is so distinctive and incredible and together yeah you know, they, they, yeah it was beautiful i don't know if you kept up with them but uh after they put out their last record the harrow and the harvest which is amazing um they finally put out a collection of three full-length albums worth of unreleased tracks called i think it's called boots boots and it's like volume one two three or whatever but there's like i don't know there's something like 40 songs on it or something it's and it's all good stuff like it's amazing because they waited so long in between records to put stuff out i thought maybe i didn't know you know are they writing are they just like what do they and apparently they were writing a lot and these are there's all these songs are recorded well they don't they're not like they're not demos they're all like just songs that didn't make it on the records they're wow. so good wow oh i'll, I'll definitely a lot of check, it i'll definitely check that yeah out. it's a big amount of music that is awesome yeah it's such a distinctive duo right there that's so cool i ran into them at a party after the uh we played a, we played at the hollywood bowl um in like 2000 on, I want to say eight. Wow. And, uh, we were opening up for Jenny Lewis, who was the middle act. And then Ray LaMontagne was playing with, uh, an orchestra. So it was just him and an acoustic with an orchestra. Wow. And, um, which I don't know why they had us, but it was, it was nice. Um, <laughs> Hollywood Bowl, man, that's the shit. Right was, that was, I, that I, impressed my dad because he grew up in LA and he was oh, like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't well, like the music, but good job. Well, now anyone would be impressed. That's the that's the the magic magic venue. It was really great, and I had a mild panic attack on stage then too. And uh, it's weird playing during the daytime when everyone you can see everyone staring at you. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, too bright. I also smoked a joint like right before I walked on stage, which is dumb. When you're when you're potentially nervous, don't do that. You know. Um, I'm talking to myself, not yeah, to, yeah, anyone, yeah, not yeah, to no, anyone enough, listening. Uh, oh yeah so after the, afterwards everyone's hanging out and um, I presume I presume that that, D- D- that Gillian and Dave were there because of Jenny I don't know they live in they live in LA and so I just like see her I see her across the room and I'm like that's Gillian ouch and I'm not the kind of person that's gonna like go say hi I just it so I don't and then and then I'm walking around and I run smack into Dave Rollins and I don't know I didn't plan this but I just immediately started like bowing and and like smiling and backing away (laughs) and backing away I was just like thank you thank you and like backing away like some some like servant in like (laughs) I don't know (laughs) thank you oh gracious thank you yeah yeah I don't know I don't know why. I couldn't just talk to him like a normal person. I wasn't expecting to see him, and then suddenly he was right in front of me. And he seemed nice. He was just kind of looking at me like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> oh, you, you know, I mean, you see, it's it's a funny thing when you meet a musical hero or somebody. You can become very, yeah, very clamped, you know, kind of like, what am I going to actually say to this yeah. person? I've, I've met, a, met a few artists here and there, and I'm like, what, why am I standing here? What What's going on, you know? Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I, I generally try to just like, yeah, button it up, you know, and like not ruin the moment somehow. But I would think as an artist, you want to connect with your fans, you know, he went, once I'm in a while. sure or... he would have loved to have, have a conversation. He seemed fine. I was yeah. the one that didn't seem fine. <laughs> you made it weird. I made it so you weird. <laughs> At the same party, we, we're just like the, we're just like dancing and with some friends of ours. And then Reese Witherspoon like walked up to our party and we started oh dancing God. And, and we we're like, yeah, I get it. And we we're all having a good time. And then I think her party of friends, her, her girlfriends, saw her and, and immediately just came in and swooped her away. They were like, oh, don't. <laughs> oh, that's classic. Don't dance with them. Oh, man. Hollywood Bowl. Hollywood Bowl memories. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I've been there for one show, Dead and Company, on Halloween. It was magnificent. Great night. Great I, was, night. I was born in the L.A. area, so to play the Hollywood Bowl felt like a, you know, badge of honor or some kind you know oh for sure yeah i mean that is as a the band show the look of it the whole way it's up on the hilltop yeah, super I mean, iconic it's, it's ridiculous yeah. it's so so good well speaking of music is there anything you like feel like you want to play with uh play for us tonight sure i can play a song okay yeah i mean the, the mic is yours like we would love to hear anything you're feeling excited about or you know like working on or you know from any any band any era you're just uh you know so um if that sounds good. Yeah, I'll, we're stoked. I'll, I'll play an original tune, something that's new that's not on anything yet. So this is a, a new song uh, called A Stone Throne uh, that is unreleased. It's unrecorded. Now it's being recorded. <laughs> You know 
always coming but you can't defend Pummeled by the sea you wade away from shore again I just want to see your wave Turn and look the other way I just want to see your way When you look the other way I just want to see your way Save for a rainy Thanks. I love that little key change at the da na 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 what, what the listener gets out of it. I feel like if I say, then, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it takes away a little bit from what they might get out of it. But I mean, I suppose, for like the, the 10,000 foot view, it's it's about like um, feeling irrelevant in someone's life, I suppose, maybe. like Or capturing that feeling of feeling feeling disposable it's very melancholy but there's moments in the song that i feel like kind of uplifting as well and yeah, it's just really that's really nice to hear because i feel like i'm writing a real sad sack sort of genre but no not always but often and that's nice to hear that it doesn't come across as like morose i mean it's a deep song no doubt really cool thank you for sharing oh yeah yeah really good really really good thank you your heart, your heart playing. Wow, I, I, don't, I mean, so good. Oh, I just sort of follow Neil Young's school of thought, you know, like keep it real simple, just a few notes here and there. It sounds great. Thank it's you. Very difficult, I'm, I imagine. I've never even tried to try to do well. Well, you, you can play guitar and sing at the same time, right? Yeah. It's kind of like doing that. That's hard at first, but then it isn't once you build the muscle memory. Nice. It's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was uh, talking about musical moments. So um, I can't remember if it was Jacksonville or Tallahassee. It was one of those two in Florida. I'll never forget. Um, we were, had Blitz and Trapper was on tour, and um, Flea Foxes was the opening act for like three weeks across America. They were opening for Blitz and Trapper. Yeah, they just. Brand new, brand new. Before that tour was over, 
their audiences were eclipsing ours and they were their fans were buying all the tickets and a lot of them would just leave after the Fleet Foxes were done. So we were like playing sold out shows, but often to kind of half full venues. Isn't that weird? That is, yeah. I mean, you know, just, that was the buzz. And uh, and they were good. They were worth the ticket price. They were so good. But I'll, I will never forget being there the night that Robin played Tiger Mountain Peasant Song solo live for the first time in front of an audience. Wow. It was good as it gets yeah, right out of the gate. I got chills just now. That's really incredible. Yeah. And I remember there was like 10 or 12 of us, 15 of us maybe, just, wow. Yeah. I mean, beautiful record, beautiful songs. I mean, I've yeah. seen... Uh, Deserved success. Yeah. And he was a kid. I mean, we were young. We were probably all like 29 at that point. Yeah. 27 to 29. He's like 20. When that tour started, he couldn't, he had to have X's on his hands. Artists, but can't go by. Can't drink at the bar, <laughs> or maybe they were just want turning twenty one or something. But he and Sky were both so young. I mean, it was Tiger Mountain Peasant song that broke him. I think. That was it? And that blew up. I mm. feel like maybe one of the tunes. Like yeah. Or a White Winter Hymnal or whatever. What was the first anyway? The I was following the I was on that one. I think maybe is that White Winter Hymnal? I think it's it's the yeah. I think it's the first song, the first record. Oh no, it's a different one then. Yeah, all that, that that was amazing. That was amazing watching them play every night. Let's see if I can do this one. So this is this is a song I just wrote yesterday called All the Fallen Angels. First of May when I fell I rang my head against the earth like a bell I woke up wounded at the memory of your face What the hell am I doing in Los Angeles All alone Alive. All alone, half alive. It didn't go the way I thought it would go. I froze up like a lake somewhere in the north. A cold blue eye staring up at the sky Dumbfounded standing there and waving goodbye All alone, half alive All alone, half alive Something wrong 
Tell me what it means That when we died We all woke up in your dreams All sitting down and laughing at the table You and me and all the fallen angels All alone, half alive All alone, half alive Thanks, thanks. This is brand new. But I flubbed that note at the end, but whatever. No, no, no. <laughs> thanks. You wrote that this morning? Yesterday morning. Wow. That's, in that's incredible. Thanks. It came together fast. I feel like the best songs kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll work, 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 work at a song, and later I, I kind of recognize like that the parts that... It'll be fine, but usually the parts that are best are the ones that just came right away. And then songs like this... It all just happened fast. I had the progression. I was like, oh yeah, I like this progression. And I had a bunch of different melodies that I was singing over it. And then I just got a couple lines. And then I was like, oh, that's the great, that's the first part of the verse. Oh, then I'll do the higher one. Yeah, oh, that's the higher part. Oh, damn, that's the verse. Okay, that's the chorus. And it was just like, within an hour, it was all done. And then an hour later, I had all the words. Very cool. Yeah, thank you for playing for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. Very cool. I've never, never done that before. I've never, never shared a song that was brand new with anyone like that. Like, oh, like just written. Wow. I would never do that. Yeah, so oh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're honored. Is, is there anything else you want to, you know, share with the, the crew? Like, you know, um, that we're, our, our listeners out there, we are so grateful that you came. So, I can't you know, where can they find, how about this? Okay. Tell, tell, tell us where everyone can find out about your music. Sure. Um, find Blitz and Trapper at blitzandtrapper.com. And on social media, just Blitz and Trapper. Yep. Um, myself, I have sort of consolidated all of my projects down to just my Instagram to keep things simple, which is not a simple name. I should probably change my handle. Right now, it's Flannelly O'Connell, like Flannery O'Connor, but Flannelly O'Connell. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Flannelly O'Connell. And there's underscores involved, so it's flannelly underscore o underscore connell, and that's where you can find me just to hire me for acting, for music, for voiceover, for whatever. Awesome. And uh, that's usually where I um, will post about solo shows and acting stuff that's happening in my world, and maybe Blitz and Trapper stuff. But that doesn't really need posting. I mean, that's like kind of does its own promo. Okay. But um, and then Deadly is uh, findable. Is that a word? Locatable? Sure. Locatable? I, I think so. You can find Deadly at uh, deadlyduo.com. It's our website. And uh, on social media, dead underscore lee underscore duo is our Instagram handle. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks again for coming in. It's been yeah, it'd be nice to um, come back with Kara and do another round we'd love that yeah you're always welcome you know you guys can come you know when the record is done or before whenever you want we'd yeah we'll come that. preview some tracks yeah we'd love in that in a couple months when we're maybe like in the middle of summer that would be great we would 
be so stoked. That'd be really, awesome. Really, yeah, it's really, really fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Yeah, cheers. Soul Boat Sessions is brought to you by Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery in Newburgh, Oregon, brewing experimental and distinctive farmhouse and wild ales since 2016, like Honeycone, Instinctive Travel Saison, and Oregon Beer Awards Gold Medal winner, Traveling Companions. Look for our handcrafted beers across Oregon, distributed by Day One, and in great bottle shops in the following states so far. Colorado, North Carolina, Virginia, New York, and more to come. Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery is open Wednesday through Sunday every afternoon and makes the ideal spot to gather with friends over a picnic and some award-winning brews with hyper-local ingredients. Look for the weekly bluegrass jam every Thursday. For Wolves and People, come run with us. Tollboat Sessions is recorded and produced by Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery in a tiny but mighty 1912 cottage with old guitars on the wall and an ever-dwindling collection of fresh beers in the fridge. The show is lovingly recorded and produced and remixed by Andrew Kay, who plays a mean guitar himself. So follow him on Instagram at Andrew Kay, that's K-A-Y-E. I'm Christian Benedetti, your host and co-producer, and not coincidentally, the founder of Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery. And we would like to thank the following amazing folks for helping make this podcast happen. First and foremost, Brian Cook. Thank you. That was awesome. Uh, Brian is managed by the Option Agency and PDX, Big Fish Northwest Talent in Seattle, and Urban Talent out of Salt Lake City and Boise. And you can find him on Instagram as I am Leo Moon underscore, and as well as Blitzen Trapper at Blitzen Trapper, which is spelled just like it sounds: B L I T Z E N T R A P P E R. Thanks again, Brian. We loved having you, and we'll see you around soon. We'd also like to thank Martin Guitars for making the finest ever and which are often heard on this program and the excellent local news and events resource known as Newsberg on Instagram as at Newsberg, that's N-E-W-S like Sam, B-E-R-G underscore. So that's at Newsberg. And you can follow us on Instagram at the Soul Boat Sessions and let us know what you think. We want to hear your rants and raves and if you're really feeling the love, send us some $2 bills at Venmo at wolves and people that's spelled out a and d we'll take your ideas for new episodes corrections complaints odes of praise and if you're an artist and you want to appear on the show by all means send a smoke signal to podcast at wolvesandpeople.com and tell everyone you know that loves music and fermentation there's finally a podcast for both so thanks for listening keep the strings warm and the beer cold and we'll see you next time on the porch